I'm Jack. And I'm Brendan. And we're coming to you from beyond the terrarium. Where DIY meets naturalistic reptiles. Enjoy. Welcome to the first episode of Beyond the Terrarium, the uh, the podcast focused on on naturalistic keeping and DIY reptile care. My name is Jack Oliver. I'm I'm joined by Brendan Meyer. Go What's ahead up? and introduce yourself. Yeah, um, I'm Brendan BM Exotics. Uh, yeah, I mean this is basically leopard gecko aficionado. Yeah, the lizard guy now. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a. Uh... So this has been like a little, a little while in the making. Me and Jack talk about naturalistic care and like how to better take care of animals that we have. Um, try to keep them as as naturalistic and as as uh, close to their natural habitat as possible, um, while still you know not breaking the bank. So. Absolutely. I think we've both got very similar mindsets when it comes to keeping reptiles and how to go about it and the ways we provide for our animals. And I think it'll be interesting to talk about that and learn more about it together. Um, I think you and I are both on the same page of like, you know, we are definitely not experts in this field. And I don't think the goal of this is to tell people how to do things. It's more of like Mm -hmm. to have thought provoking conversations with um each other and other people in the field who you know have good ideas and are doing cool stuff and i think you know throughout this experience we're going to try new things and try to figure out you know how to improve our own methods so i think it'll be pretty fun yeah and like what uh, before it's uh it's it's kind of a selfish endeavor you know like i just we both want to learn as much as we can to care for the animals the best that we can, you know? So I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. There's no real podcast out that's solely focused on what we want to focus on. So hopefully people dig it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, talks about this in a certain way or, or talks about it or touches on it. Um, but I think what we want to do is focus on it because I think, I don't know about you, Brennan, but for me, like the most enjoyable part about reptile keeping is setting up cool ass exhibits for them to be in, you know, and I think talking about how we can do that better and how we can have enclosures that the animals use better um, Mm -hmm. with each other and then other people is just going to be amazing to develop that in our own collections. Like I think, you know, hopefully this podcast, you know, goes, goes somewhere and, and does something, but I think the coolest part about it is getting to see, you know, how we evolve um, throughout the process of this podcast as well. And I think we'll definitely detail all of that um, as we go. So Brendan, why don't, um, why don't you give the people, the listeners a little idea of, you know, what you got going on, what you keep and um, what your current collection is and, and what your plans are. 
Yeah, man. So the collection has changed pretty dramatically over the past like two years as like anybody that follows my Instagram knows I've, I've went from very snake heavy to very lizard and gecko heavy. Um, I think I'm down to like 10 snakes total. And two years ago, there was like 60 of them in this house. So like <laughs> I've, I've downsized quite a bit on the snakes. Um, so I, I only focus on, I'm looking like they're all like behind the camera right now, but, uh, mostly coastal carpets. Um, I have a pair of brettles from the homie Ben frame. And then I have the lone female bear dye that I, I got gifted to from Justin Smith. So, um, snake wise, like, I don't know. I used to be solely, I was just going to do carpets. Like I was going to be that guy that had a room full of nothing but coastal morphs and projects and all that stuff. And then I started getting into the geckos and like the cat gecko stuff really kind of solidified my love for things with legs, I guess. Mm -hmm. So the main focus now is, is the cat geckos for sure. Uh, they're kind of my, they're kind of my, uh, my nemesis, I guess you could say currently because there's, you know, they're breeding, but they're not. I'm sure we'll get into that whole that whole story. But yeah. Other than that, it's yep. just uh. Oh, we lost Brennan for a second. Of leopards going. Um, that's solely what I'm breeding currently because I mean, they breed so easy, you know. So, and then I got the the uh, the pair of monkey lizards, which I think we're going to get into a little bit in this episode. Absolutely. Uh. We're, I'm building a, a big, massive enclosure for them. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. And then we just have a couple gargoyles hanging around that the girlfriend's super on lychee. So that's pretty much it. We're mostly mostly geckos over here now. So what was it about the cat geckos that kind of stole you away from, from carpet pythons? Dude, I don't even know, man. Like, I saw a picture of one like a wild caught, like out in the bush kind of picture, you know, like the in situ kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And it was just, and this was three or four, maybe five years ago. And like, it's always been in the back of my mind that like, I think like this is the species that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. And then I was walking around a local show cause we don't have nothing crazy here. It's mostly your typical reptile shows, you know, ball pythons and crested mm -hmm. geckos and whatnot. And this guy had a male, um, I'm pretty sure it was a wild caught male, but he had a male cat gecko in like a little tub, like off to the side of his table. And I was like, dude, I was like, how much do you want for this? I didn't ask any questions about it. I just knew I had to have it. So he sold it to me pretty cheap. And then as soon as I got home and started playing with it, dude, I just deep dive down the rabbit hole. And now I have like a dozen of them. They're just That's cool. Amazing. They're the coolest. Yeah. They're the coolest, most easiest gecko i don't know it's just a cooler crested gecko man it's they're they're insane yeah and what i'll add to that is is i was with brendan when he got a couple at uh daytona or not daytona sorry tinley in chicago uh recently and i've i've never seen somebody get as excited as brendan got about <laughs> these geckos so 
it, the, the passion is real. And I think it's interesting. And I think it's something that we would definitely want to talk about, about, you know, how your keeping style has changed since getting those. And like, you know, like the, the change between snakes to geckos and like the different mindset that those like sects of the hobby have, you know, yeah. um, which I think would be interesting to talk about um, at some point too. So. Yeah, it's That's crazy because awesome, it was it was like mostly tubs. You know, I kept my snakes in tubs. I'm not ashamed to say that. And yeah. you can see behind me, I still have leopard geckos in tubs. So, I mean, I'm not against tub keeping, but when I got more lizard heavy, I'm definitely really, really into building the backgrounds and the, the enclosures and, you know, really making them look naturalistic, real plants, bioactive substrate. I mean, the works. LED, UVB, all of it, you know, and that's really, because I'll be honest, like, keeping all the snakes, I was kind of in a slump, you know, because it was just like, you walk in the room and it wasn't exciting, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. like everything just in tubs, you couldn't really see much. And then now doing all the cages naturalistic with plants and nice lighting, and it just makes it so much more fun. Yeah, and the geckos probably want to bite you less than the, the yeah, snakes exactly. did. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we love carpet pythons on this show, and, and we're not we going to do. do any carpet python slander, but they can be painful sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they can, they can be animals. Everybody knows it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's amazing, man. And I think one thing we should also comment on is the room that you're sitting in right now. Um, yeah. If you don't follow Brennan on Instagram, you definitely should. Um, but his uh, his new rep reptile rooms that he just got set up are pretty amazing, so... I think we'll have to maybe on the uh, the Instagram page do a do a little highlight on those rooms because they should definitely be shown off. So, yeah, I, I plan on doing that, but it's just kind of on a back burner. But I'll, I'll get to yeah. it. They're they're insane. Yeah. They're and they're, I'm yeah. not just saying that because they're mine. They are actually insane. Yeah, they're they make you feel like you're in the uh, in the environment of the geckos while you're actually like caring for the geckos, which I think is. You know, I think definitely a topic for a show at some point in the future of like how to make not only your enclosures, you know, amazing, but how do you make your room um, just as amazing and, and make you feel like fully immersed um, in it. I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, concepts in, in zoological institu institutions where they do, you know, immersive exhibits. And I think, you know, it's definitely possible to do that in your home as well as mm -hmm. as and is showing behind them so definitely a, a subject we should talk about for sure in the future yeah for sure but i feel like i've been talking a lot so no you're good man you you're dive good in, you have you have cool stuff man <laughs> i'll dive into and and guys for anyone listening like this is this is our first go around so we're we're getting getting acquainted to the podcast game so it's yeah. no easy feat for sure so give us, um, give us a few episodes man yeah, yeah. We're, we're, this is going to be good, I'm telling y'all. Um, okay, so my collection. So um, I have kind of a Noah's Ark situation going on uh, still. It's, it's you know, less so as I become more focused um, throughout the last couple of years. But I've definitely, I, I just love everything. You know, it's, it's, it is hard for me to say, no, I don't want to keep this or no, I don't want to keep that. Um, I would keep everything if I could. Uh, it turns out once you have over probably like 15 animals, if you're keeping a bunch of different stuff, it's very hard to uh, to maintain that well. Um, just because it's like, you know, you got five lizards and 
you know, a couple of turtles and snakes. And it's like, it, I mean, it's just all different routines you got to keep track of. So I've kind of switched a little bit of, of how I've been keeping. I used to keep some geckos and some other stuff. Um, but I keep currently made a list today. I keep 16 turtles and 16 different snakes and then one Kevin. Um, and Kevin is a, uh, a smooth fronted caiman. Um from South America. So he's, you know, in the dwarf Cayman complex of the, the Paleosuchus. So he's Paleosuchus trigonatus. Um, he's about three and a half feet. Um, he currently lives in a very large eight foot by eight foot enclosure in my basement with a, uh, a 400 gallon pond. Um, so he's living it up down there and we'll definitely do an episode kind of talking about that enclosure and, you know, the ethics of keeping large animals. Um, but that's Kevin. On top of that, I've got uh, four carpet pythons. Um, I have one uh, uh, tiger jaguar carpet. I have a citrus tiger head albino and a Balin red that I actually got from Brennan. Um, and then I've also got a, a baby brettles right now. So those are the carpets. Um, I've got my OG ball python um, who I've had for, I don't know, since 2008. So what is that? like 16 years now. Mm -hmm. um, so pretty long time I've had him. And then um, got Eastern King snake, a couple of corn snakes, uh, some yellow rats from Beaufort County, South Carolina, um, gray rat, uh, black racer, a couple of water snakes, uh, albino checkered garter snake. And uh, I think that's, everything snake wise and then turtle wise i've got you know everything i've got a alligator snapping turtle got a box turtle um a couple of north american wood turtles south american wood turtles from the rhinoclemish genus um stink pot yellow slider a couple of hybrids um hybrid sliders florida red belly uh, and then my my prized possessions are uh Podoc nemus unifilis, which are uh, yellow spotted Amazon river turtles, and then uh, Geoclemys hamiltoni, which are uh, Indian spotted turtles. Um, so I've got two each of those that I was uh, donated by the TTPG through their uh, cloning captive, their colonial propagation program. It's a lot of uh, acronyms <laughs> there. Um, so those have been super cool to work with recently and, and be involved in that organization. I love the TTPG. I think, you know, all sectors of the reptile hobby should have something like that. I think it's an amazing organization. I think it's, you know, the best thing for the hobby. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I keep there. It's a very wide range of animals. I, everything is pretty much in naturalistic setups unless they're grow outs. And so I have a couple of grow outs and tubs, but you know, they're the gasket tubs with, you know, lots of space. So I try to keep them as naturalistically as possible, but you know, with babies, it's, you got to make sure you can clean the substrate substrate easily. And there's just no reason to go ahead and set up a bioactive or nat naturalistic enclosure, I think for them when they're not ready to be in it. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but out, everything else is, is in large uh, display enclosures. And I think that's kind of where my focus is going in the future is, is trying to make sure that all my animals are in a, in a display, but not only display for myself, but a display that, you know, is, is suitable for them and allows them to, um, express all their significant behaviors. And that's something I definitely want to talk about a lot is the concept of significant behaviors and how we develop enclosures to 
you know, allow animals to express these behaviors. So I think that's, that's me, man. It's a lot of, a lot of random stuff (laughs) all over the place. I think everybody's Um, been there though. Like, I mean, when you said, as soon as you said the Noah's Ark stage, man, it like brought back memories of me just a few years ago. Like a little bit of everything stuffed in a room, just trying to figure out what you like, what you want to work with, what you're going to enjoy working with kind of deal, at least for me. Yeah. And it's, it's fun when you finally get to not saying that you're not focused on what you have. I'm just saying for me personally, when you, when I, mm-hmm. when I focus down on, cause I wanted, I wanted a little bit of everything before, you know, I just wanted the numbers. Yep. I just wanted to have the animal. And now that everybody's almost in cages that are, you know, they have branches to climb, they have nice lighting, et cetera. It's like, it's more about the quality and the, you know, you walk in a room and you want to be able to see animals be mm-hmm. animals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you definitely have that going with as, as much as you keep you, you definitely have. Yeah. It's awesome. So cool to see, especially Kevin's Thanks, man. enclosure, man, which we'll dive into <laughs> in its own episode, but yeah. Yeah. We got to definitely do a, a whole episode about that for sure. Yeah. It's insane. Um, thank you though. I, I appreciate that. That's, um, that was definitely my goal. My my room, and I'm, I'm sure we'll post some stuff about what my my reptile room um, looks like now. But it's you know it's not basically all of my reptile room is in a crawl space. Um, it's a basically a walkout basement that that's um, actually technically called a crawl space. But so it's not like the most appealing to look at. So I I guess I wanted to compensate for the unappealingness of the room with mm-hmm. the beauty of the enclosures, and so. Um, I'm not there yet, but I'm, I, that's every day when I go down there to work on stuff, it's, it's with that goal in mind. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that for sure. Absolutely. Um, I think, I think that's kind of like what this is though. I, I think this is, this is continuous improvement and learning mm-hmm. and trying to figure out like new ways to do things. Um, I don't want to have any of any two of my enclosures look the same. I want them all to be different and intriguing to look at and um, different for the animals. And in the case that I wanted to rotate them, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit now, but I think it's something that we should, you know, dedicate more time to eventually. But, um, you know, we, so when I went up to visit Brendan and we went to the NARBC, uh, Tinley, we went to uh, the St. Louis Zoo as well. And one of the exhibits that really stood out to me was this brand new monkey exhibit that they had and it was it was this insane complex of all these enclosures and the enclosures themselves weren't necessarily like you know the the craziest thing ever they weren't like Mm -hmm. the most beautiful exhibits but what i thought was cool was that every single exhibit was connected and the monkeys that were in that exhibit were only in that exhibit for the day and then they would like rotate them to a different exhibit so when you're walking through this as a guest to the zoo you could see a different monkey in every exhibit every day you came. So from a a viewer's perspective, I thought that was really interesting, but then also from a monkey's perspective, like I don't think that there are many places or many zoos and maybe that's what it's becoming. Like it's becoming a more common Mm -hmm. thing, but I don't, don't, from my memory, I've never seen that before where they could just rotate animals um, between enclosures and, and allow them that enrichment of smelling a different monkey or, um, you know, having a different viewpoint of, 
the zoo or like just having a different experience that differs that day from the previous day. Like you think about a, an animal's life in a zoo or, or in your home collection and they're in the same exhibit, same enclosure every day, which, you know, I, it's just part of it, you know, that's how it is. And I, yeah. You know, um, but I think the concept of being able to rotate animals and allow them to have those different experiences and different smells and different days, you know, allows them to break up kind of the monotony of life and experience new things. And so um, just thought I'd, I'd share that story because Brennan and I experienced this together and um, yeah. thought it was interesting. And on, on that note too, about the becoming stagnant in the same enclosure, like this male brothels I have, from mm -hmm. and he was in a tub when I first got him in quarantine, obviously, you know. And then I I have a picture on in my Instagram, but I built this three foot black box with like the red rock background with the, the ledges and stuff. And I, I put him in there and like I know snakes don't they're not happy, they're not sad, whatever, you know. I like I understand that, but like as soon as I put him in that enclosure it was just like tongue flicks galore. He was exploring everything, looking at everything. He was really, really active. So he was yeah. in that enclosure for a little while. And then I ended up sending Sriracha, my big tiger female, to our buddy Zach to, on a great yeah. loan. So, and I wanted to give him more space. So I, I cleaned up her enclosure and put him in there. And it was the same thing. Like he was so, mm -hmm. it's just crazy how active they are. As soon as you put them in a new environment, they're just checking everything out. You know, they're going in all the little crevices and they're going around the sticks and through the hide. And it's just, I mean, there's got to be something to that, you know, because mm -hmm. in the wild, they're not, they're not just sitting in one spot. They're, they're exploring, they're seeing different things all the time. Mm -hmm. So it has to have some sort of, of benefit. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, I think something you mentioned that was pretty interesting was the, um, the not happy or sad, um, which I, I also thought was interesting about the way that zoos look at it is, is they're not taking it from a happy, Oh, this animal's happy because we did this or this animal, you know, is sad because of this. It's like, we're not anthropomizing. I don't know how to say that word. Um, <laughs> anthropomorphizing. I think that's yeah, it. There you go. Um, we're not anthropomorphizing their, them. We're not, we're not applying right. human emotion to them. We're just trying to give them, um mental stimulation through you know differing days so that yeah. you know we don't know too much about how much of a, a snake remembers or you know how how they you know think about past and present and future but like the ability for a snake to differentiate like oh yesterday this happened and mm -hmm. today this is happening you know it, i think is is important um to think about just as you go forward um in, in creating enrichment for your animals. Cause I think a lot of times we're like, Oh, enrichment, like let's put, um, I don't know, a cardboard box with a mouse in it or make them find their food, which I think is great. And I think any sort of mental stimulation is great, but like on a larger scale, like they still at this end of the day, the behavior that they're exhibiting is the same, like outside mm -hmm. of the searching for the food, they're still eating, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, how do you like, how do you do like the exploration or like the new experience that they've never had or something like that, you know? Yeah, but, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a rabbit hole that we could Oh yeah. go down forever. <laughs> I've even, I've even had a thought of like, 
in, in, in theory, it works, but in practice, I feel like it'd be kind of difficult to do, but almost like, okay, like, you know, when they, people, like cat people, they build like the walkways. It's kind of like the thing of this dude, like they yeah. build the walkways yeah. up top to where they can go from like this side to this side. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it would depend on a lot of factors, obviously, and you would probably have to have a very low amount of animals to do this properly. But like, I know people use the like the PVC tubes to connect breeding pairs in cages. But yeah. like, what if you did that? You know, you had a, a four by two that had a carpet in it here, with a, a tube that was that went to like a three by six tall that had like mm-hmm. a tree in it. You know, and they could. Mm-hmm. You know, you block it off. You they spend time in this cage. You open it. They spend time over here, kind of deal. Yeah. To where they're, it's all their own cage, but you kind of set mm-hmm. it off for like, okay, these days you're here, and these yep. days you can go over here. You know, climb six foot up in the air in, in a tree because we know carpets love to climb. Yeah. Or like yeah. even, I mean, even just like offering, like different meals. Obviously, is is mentally you know they're you know you offer a rat or a quail or whatever or you know it's it's stimulating them somehow obviously yeah so it's just like it's little things i think day to day make a big difference that a lot of people don't even think about or consider yeah i think that that concept is super interesting of having like one super large enclosure and then you know allowing all the other snakes because then you could have because i think a lot of times people you know okay we're gonna put this carpet python in a four by two because that's the space i I can allot to it and still have my other snakes and like work on the breeding projects that i want to have um Mm -hmm. which i'm all for because i you know i love breeding projects i've got animals that i you know want to involve in breeding projects one day i you know i'm i'm in the same boat like i want to have as many snakes as i can while still allowing them the space but i think allowing them to have that large tall enclosure for a certain period of time that's also got all these smells of like another male carpet python or a female yeah. or like whatever um is a super interesting concept um, yeah absolutely yeah i think that's it and and i feel like if you yeah. if you made it big enough you could connect four four or four four by twos on either side mm-hmm with just four portals to it and you open one one day and let them, you know, it's just, and you yep. just rotate. And then yep. if you do, I know like a simple thing to do would be like, put this male shed in with this male. Like if you ever yeah. have done yeah, that yeah. breeding, those males go crazy. You know, they're, yeah. they dig their nose in the shed and they're, they're really into it. And it's, it's very stimulating for them. So I think it would be, I mean, it definitely wouldn't hurt. Yeah. So yeah, I think that um, that center enclosure idea is is super interesting and maybe something down the road um, to try for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try to figure something out. Absolutely. Yeah, I've I've seen people do like the like the playground, you know, where they've got like a bunch of PVC pipes and stuff for their animal to to come out and you know use. Um, but uh, that's something that like you've got to supervise all the time and it's not like they yeah. can spend, you know, a day, two days or whatever perched up at the top, like, you know, and still have, you know, heat and, you know, be able to exist normally as they would in an enclosure, but right. a large thing. So I think having that with the PVC, you know, entrances is super interesting. 
Yeah, and I've but, even considered like, because I don't, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows, but I'm in the St. Louis area, so it's, we get pretty hot during the summer, you know, so I've even thought about building a big outdoor enclosure just to like mm-hmm. cycle snakes in a couple, you know, a week at a time or whatever. Yeah. Just something, I mean, I'm always, I always have something I want to do, it's just finding the time and and kind of dialing that in, you know, getting it snake escape proof but also raccoon and hawk proof and all that stuff so yeah it's the scary part of of outside the thing is is you got a big you got a big dog so you might be okay the the animals (laughs) might be scared off he does keep the squirrels away that's for sure yeah side tangent really quick and we'll get back to it but i uh my old roommate used to have or my old roommate used to live with me obviously and uh he had a dog and so his dog would be outside all the time, play fetch with it, whatever. We never, I mean, we would occasionally see animals out there, but not often. Mm-hmm. Since he's left, man, herds of deer, herds of them, um, just all over the backyard, possums, like all kinds of stuff that I didn't see before. So it's just really interesting how a dog scent kind of puts things like that off. Oh, um, yeah. But they, speaking they of the dairy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think just like the smell of them being there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, speaking of the outdoor enclosure, because um, you made me think of it, my our our buddy Zach, um, who Brendan's beautiful female tiger coastal carpet python is with, um, he actually kept his brettles outside um, during the summer and you know spring and fall, and he was like a. I don't even know what kind of enclosure it was. Maybe it was like for ferrets or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a tall, like five foot enclosure, completely screened. And then it had like a box up at the top. And dude, these, these brettles never, they were, every time I came over and saw them, maybe they left the box sometimes, but they were always up top, man. Always up top in that box, hanging out right over the top. And I was like, that's, that's the way a Brettles python wants to be. It's up there. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And then they're all also like, I mean, they're all individuals. You know, mm-hmm. anybody who says otherwise just they don't. Yeah. They haven't observed enough because, mm-hmm. I mean, just looking around now, like I have two carpets and these guys just ate last week and they're both just like upside down, just waiting for something to walk by, constantly perched, always as high in the cage as they can. And then I have others like this one right here is always on the ground, front of the cage, on the ground, just yeah. staring out. It's it's just they're it's all weird. individual. Yeah, they're so they're so different, but still the same. It's crazy. Yeah. That's that's something super interesting too that I think would be a good topic for us to discuss. It's just like, you know, you or I talking about an individual animal that we own and how we adapted our our care specifically for that. Or, you know, if we have any guests, you know, asking them about that um because i think that's just as important as you know keeping an animal i think obviously like parameters like temperature humidity things like that you want to keep the same but like Mm -hmm. how you design the functionality of an enclosure could change based on how that individual animal uses it um which is i think super interesting to think about yeah Um, we could do like a like a multi-part thing on that too because it's so there's so much to it and I know mm-hmm. like behind the scenes we've we've been talking about different different topics and stuff and there's I mean there's so there's just so much to all of this that yeah if you sit down and really think about it you could just 
you could go crazy just trying to build enclosures and like not even just the care of the animal, just what they live in. You can go yeah. so you can go crazy and stay inexpensive if you want, or like us, we we do this on a budget. You know, we both have full time yep. gigs. This isn't our full time thing, and we we do it to the best of our ability while still maintaining that level of thought and care. And you know, yeah. Yeah, and I think that touches too on a, on a topic I definitely want to talk about, which is the concept of like studying your animal and like really understanding what your animal is doing day to day and and how right. they're using their environment and and what they like to eat and what they like to do and where they like to sleep and things like that and how you can study your specific animal and then also you know extrapolating that onto to how you can go further in researching your animal. Cause I think a lot of people tend to, you know, look up a care guide and call it a day versus, you know, I I've got these South American wood turtles and there's not, I mean, there's like one care guide on them, but it's like, you know, I, I was reading scientific papers for days on them um, because there is stuff out there for, for even the most obscure stuff. There's usually oh, some yeah. stuff out there. And I think leveraging, those those scientific papers and understanding how to read them and how to you know take that information and apply it because it's not like you know you're going to read this stuff and be like okay well this you know this smooth fronted caiman eats 90% scorpions in the wild and you're like yeah. okay i can't feed 90% scorpions and this is just a you know I, I, there was some fact about them eating uh, a significant number of scorpions but it wasn't 90% but just for example but like, how do you, how do you take that and apply that? Like, do you then feed dubia more heavily because it's more mm -hmm. similar to, to scorpions or how do you alter your care based on that? Um, which I think is a super interesting topic, but yeah, absolutely. I think, I think what we should do though, Brennan, is I think we should talk about your polychris enclosure. Yeah. I was just about to transition. Yeah. 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 Can we, can we get one thing straight though? <laughs> how do you say polychris is it polychris polychris i think it's polychris polychris i think polychris. i don't know i've never heard okay. i've actually never heard anybody say it so i don't know i think it's poly polychris poly i don't know i'm sure you can say it either way polychris. okay but I you say, say polychris. polychris okay that's cool. what sounds we'll have to get i have to ask roy and see see how to say it <laughs> yeah so, okay. So before you talk enclosure, can you tell us like a little bit about them, how you got them, like what they've been in, that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. So they are the common monkey anole or common bush anole, I think is the other name. Um, it's Polychris marmoratus, I think is how you say it. I could be butchering that. I don't know. I'm not good at Latin names, but Latin's a dead language anyway. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, they're a, a species of a knoll-ish mm -hmm. from like Guyana, that area, South America, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I honestly, I didn't even know they existed until, um, I know like a lot of people follow Roy at Wellsprings Herp. And if you don't, you definitely should because he's just insane. We can, that's a whole other tangent, but <laughs> he would like, he would like post them up and I'd see them. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I wasn't really like an anole guy. Like I was never really into them. Like I was when I was younger, I kept like green anoles just like everybody else did, you know. 
But then, like, he kept posting and, like, handling videos and them eating, like, like mantises and, like, just crazy stuff. And they just look super cool. And from what I knew then, they were all wild-caught. There was no captive-bred babies in the U.S. at all, or at least that I knew of. So I didn't really want to, like, get in a wild-caught pair and have to transition them to captivity, you know. So I never really followed up on it until I saw Roy actually produced captive bred babies. Um, I think he had his first clutch, was it two years ago? I could be getting that wrong, but I think he's had two or three clutches of them now. So I, I started messaging him, just asking questions about him, you know, and he was, he's such a cool laid back dude that he would just like send me paragraphs and paragraphs back of like all the natural history and like everything about him. So then we worked out a deal and he sent me, a captive pair of babies that he produced, which I'm so grateful for to this day. I've had them, I guess it's been a little over a year now. I've had oh, wow. them. I didn't realize it's been that long. Yeah, dude, it's, I know it's, it's gone by quick. Um, so they're, they're currently, and they have been in a, a two by three repi zoo, like a, a two by two by three. Um, and like, I can go on about, about refugee enclosures and how much I, I enjoy them, but I think you should. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the cheapest, coolest enclosure you can buy, all glass. They're insane. They're fantastic. Yeah. They come flat ship, like flat packed. They're easy to put together. They're just they're so cool. Yeah. But so I've got a, been... I've got a bunch too. And I just think I think having some sort of accessible enclosure that can be shipped to your door like that is unbeatable and obviously you know it's not like an exoterra or a zoomed brand and you're not supporting like an american company but like american companies should have been doing this so absolutely <laughs> you just yeah. gotta and and yeah. for the price point man it's it's a no-brainer like yeah they're just they're fantastic enclosures i only have two of them right now but they're i plan on de definitely getting more but yep so i set this enclosure up as like so they're, the only thing I really knew about them, minus like what Roy told me, was they're highly arboreal. They're insects and fruit. They eat fruit, apparently. Mine have yet to eat any fruit for me, but they apparently do eat fruit in the wild. Um, and they, they at night, they sleep on like very low branches close to the ground. So I built this enclosure out with all of that kind of in mind. Um, it's full bioactive, real plants. You know, they have all the all the Arcadia goodies and, you know, all that fun stuff. So I've been just, like, slowly, slowly working with them. I got them pretty hand-tamed now. And then I try to come in here throughout the day at multiple times just to kind of observe where they're at, what they're doing. You know, um, the female is definitely much more timid, so she's normally hiding during the day. Um if I come here early, early in the morning, she'll be up basking or she'll be under the UVB. But like, other than that, she's like behind a stick. I can't see her. Um, the male is definitely the more bold one. He's always out on a monster leaf, just kind of chilling, looking at me, you know? So I've just been slowly working with them, feeding them, working with them, trying to get them to come out, all that stuff. But with this new enclosure build that I'm, I'm finally doing, it's a three by 18 by four tall. It's like four sliding glass doors. It's a Repti Zoo also. It's insane. It's 
heavy as hell, but it's super cool. Um, and I just like been taking mental notes on on where they like to spend most of their time and how I can better suit this enclosure for them as individuals than the last one. So I know me and you, Jack, is on on different things um, with like the UVB and up in the UVB percentage and all that stuff. Yeah, can we can we really quick talk about what they're currently in and like all the equipment and stuff that you have for that, and then talk about yeah. you know how you're what you think needs to change and how you're changing it and stuff like that. Yeah, so they're they're in the two by three. Um, mm-hmm. They have the seven percent uh, Arcadia UVB. What's the name? It's not the Jungle Jungle Dawn. Is that what it's called? Or is that the LED light? I get yeah, that's the LED. Yeah, that's the LED. It's it's. I think it's like the. I, don't know. I forget what it's, it's called. It's the twelve percent bulb. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're you. currently they currently have the seven percent. Oh, so, on, sorry, on, Shade Dweller, Shade Dweller, Shade Dweller. That's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. So they have. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one foot Shade Dweller, seven percent UVB. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the, the two foot, Jungle Dawn LED from Arcadia on there as well which grows plants phenomenally like i have a monster in there now it's like about to bust to the top it's so big it's That's insane. right on the market for sure absolutely and i i know arcadia is pricey but it's worth it it's worth every penny um yeah. and then i just have like a generic 50 watt heat bulb on them um <clears throat> nothing crazy there just keeps the hot spot about 90 80 you know 88 90 Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's just, I got the, the big monster in there, which definitely helps. It creates, now that it's big, it creates like a lot of shaded pockets. So they have a lot of options on temperature, on UVB, um, and the LED also. Like they can just, they can hide up under a leaf and get absolutely no light, or they can come out and, you know, do what they need to do. But it's, a uh, I mean, it's definitely a cool build. It's my favorite one to date, but it's uh, but the plan is to eventually breed these guys. So I want them to have as much as much space as possible, and they're and they're growing quick. And for those of you that don't know, they have like an insanely long tail, so they uh, they use it to kind of. I don't want to say they use it for balance, but they they kind of curl it around sticks and stuff when they're climbing and all that stuff, but. Yeah, the the enclosure is definitely suited its purpose. Um, I just I have I have better ideas. I have bigger ideas that I think will suit them better. Um, more lowland, like lower branches for sure. Because like I said, they do sleep towards the ground. And this current case doesn't really have anything for them to sleep on low, so they both kind of sleep in weird positions, I guess. Um, Other than that, like, that's really the only physical thing I want to add, minus more plants, obviously, more um, temperature gradients. Because in a a two by three, you can't really, you can't really get that big of a gradient. Um, But in this four foot cage, I'd like to, I'd like to really, really work on that and dial that in too. Gotcha. I am uh, 
sorry, I'm I was listening the whole time. I, I'm trying to share the screen. Um. Oh God. <laughs> share. No. Okay. Uh, we'll figure this out eventually. We'll uh, definitely share um, some pictures maybe on the Instagram yeah. when we release this of, of this enclosure um, because I definitely think that people should see it. Uh, sorry. Again, no, trying to figure this out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take necessarily some time. Know what doing. It's going to take some time, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's an amazing enclosure that he's got now. Um, I was lucky enough to, to see it in person and it just, I, I mean, the plant life that you have in there growing is, is awesome. Um, I think a lot of people kind of shy away from growing plants in their enclosure just because, you know, they, they think about houseplants and they're like, well, you know, I didn't have as good a luck doing houseplants, you know, just outside of an enclosure or how can I do it inside? And I think a species like like the polygris is is the perfect animal to to do that with because you you know they're light animals and they can mm -hmm. sort of use the the plants without killing them. Yeah, which can't be said about all animals. Um, and and I don't think that growing plants is necessarily as hard, especially when you do it in a terrarium that's you know already humid. A lot of house plants don't like the humidity of of a normal house. Um, it's mm -hmm. too low for them to really flourish. So I think doing it in an enclosure is a lot easier, especially if you're going to be misting the enclosure for the animal already. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, we'll definitely have to share some pictures of that because it's, it's an amazing enclosure. Um, and then we'll have to share some pictures of the new one as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. I just got to get working on it before I, yeah. I share any pictures, but yeah, I'm currently in the midst of building the background for it, but it's, it's nothing to look at right now. And it, so, it won't be anything to look at for a while. So the background you have in the current one, how yeah. did you do that? Oh, yeah. So I did um, – it's spray foam mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, I took a, a note out of, out of Serpa Designs, the egg crate light diffuser on the back, mm -hmm. and then – sprayed the foam over that to kind of adhere more so it, it sticks more because I've been having an issue with uh, the spray foam like breaking away from the foam boards it just doesn't yeah. stick for whatever reason I don't know if I'm mm -hmm. just putting too much on it once or or what I haven't really figured that out yet but um so it's it's spray foam and then I put um like the small black plastic planters throughout mm -hmm. it with uh with like sticks and bark and stuff and i kind of foamed all that in and then i tried to do the 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 eco earth thing where you just like throw the eco earth and the sphagnum moss on it and kind of press it into the foam while it's still wet yeah but i think the foam was just just dry enough to where it didn't really stick so if you look really close in the pictures and in the background, you can see the black. I use black foam. Thank God I didn't use the whites or the, the, the you know, the, the yellow. Yeah, the yellow stuff. So you yeah. can't really tell until you look at it. But yep. a lot of that's fallen off. And another thing I noticed, their claws are pretty gnarly and they like to run up and down the background. So they've they've kind of knocked the rest of it off that was sticking. Um, 
So we're gonna do dry lock for this next one because oh, you are okay. It's a yeah, it's tried and true. I've I've done three of them now, so and they've all okay. held up pretty well. So we have some ideas on on how we're gonna do that. Um, yeah, my girlfriend, a legit artist, so she's definitely gonna help me make it look cool. Shout out to Christy. She did the walls to... behind Bresson. Yeah, yeah. Brendan. She, she painted all the you yeah. can't really tell, but there's like plants and stuff on the bottom side of the walls. But it's it's amazing, trust me. Yeah. Um, yeah, the dry lock is it um I just recently used it on an enclosure and it's like honestly the easiest way to do these. Like I can't believe it's taken me as long as it has to to do dry lock. Um, but it's super interesting because it's tintable, so you can tint it to the color, the base color you want, and then you can you can kind of paint it the way you want it to be. And I think it honestly, you can make it look more like dirt than throwing dirt on a background or, or cocoa fiber. Like it, I think it actually looks better than than cocoa fiber um, in a lot of a lot of cases. So yeah, that'll be sweet. So are you going to do all three walls or just the back wall? So I think I'm just gonna do the back wall gotcha. because I really like to, I really like to see into the enclosure on three sides. Yep. It just looks it looks better to me personally. So we're gonna go about a foot off the bottom, and then side to side to the top. So it's gonna end up being like a three by three background, which is probably gonna be the the biggest one I've done yet. So wow. it's gonna be a process for sure. Speaking of, of that with just doing the background, can you talk a little bit about like where you've got it placed in the room for, the for viewing? Yeah, for viewing. Yeah, so it's so this room is I think it's twelve by eight or nine, maybe. So it's longer than it is wide. Um so as soon as you walk into the door, the enclosure is like right there on your left. So if you sit at the far end. It's like center stage, like straight on, perfect viewing. Um, and eventually it's going to be, as soon as you walk in the door, it's going to be the first thing you see is the plan. Yeah. So That's I amazing. want it to be kind of a, kind of the centerpiece enclosure in, in the snake room at least. Mm -hmm. And then I have other plans for the, the gecko room, obviously. But I think that where you place the enclosure is super important for how you're going to design the enclosure as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the way you're doing it is super cool from um, like a human perspective of being able to view them. Um, but also from their perspective of being able to, you know, see, because like we were saying, the way your room is with, you know, the walls and everything like that, it's not like they're going to be in some like bright white, yeah. sterile space or like a, a house where they're it, they're going to be looking into you know other snake enclosures and mm -hmm. and the walls and everything like that so having three areas for them to view i think is interesting yeah and also something that like i don't know could be a little controversial is you know people are like okay you've got an entirely glass box and you want to black out you know all sides you can to make them feel so secure but i think the important thing for you is is that you've got them pretty well used to you so yeah. they're not like you know you walk in the room and they're running because they're scared or something like that so i think that 
perspective makes it cooler of the way that you're going to put it in there or set up the location of the enclosure. Yeah, for sure. And like the new enclosure, I don't know how much, how much it really matters, but they're facing the only window in the room now, or mm -hmm. they will be. So they'll kind of be able to see that like, that like day night change in lighting, which we'll see if that, I don't, if that makes a difference or not, you know, but yeah, it can't hurt. No. Yeah. I think anything's better than nothing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are you doing? I know we talked about changing UV. So you're going up to 12, right? Yeah. We're going up to 12% to kind of, kind of, uh, you know, so they can get better UVB lower down to the taller cage, the foot taller than their, their cage now. So, I know we talked about the other night and you said go with the 12. So, yeah. And I, I think also for people listening, like if you don't know what percentage UV to use, if you're using Arcadia products, they have a great guide on their mm -hmm. website um, that you can kind of put, you know, it's mostly common species. They have some definitely obscure species on there, but you kind of got to think about what's a similar species. I know we said for you, like maybe an anole or something yeah. would be something similar. Um, but you kind of go in there and extrapolate, but you know, they've got different dis distances. So you're like, okay, the lizard's going to be at the, at its optimum basking spot. It's going to be, you know, 12 inches or whatever from the light. So then they're like, okay, you would want to use, I don't know, like a 12% or whatever uh, for that animal in order to get, you know, the correct Ferguson zones. So I think leveraging that guide is super useful when you're making decisions like that, because you want it to be right. You're going to spend, you know, way too much money on a, on a UVB bulbs and, and yeah. a fixture. You want it to be the the correct one for you. Um, so I think doing that ahead of time is is always good. Um, the other thing too is is screen. Um, depending on the type of screen you're using, can block out you know a good bit of of UV. Um, that's one thing I do like about the Reptizoos is the screen that they have on them is is a much well it's thicker. The actual metal is thicker and then it's wider. The holes are wider than like an XO, which is an XO would be like a, you know, like maybe a pasta strainer, maybe a little bit smaller than yeah. a pasta strainer. And then yeah. the Reptizoos are more like, you know, a heavier gauge metal, but then wider holes. Um, so you get better UV penetration through them than you would through a through an Exoterra. Yeah. Um, and another thing too about the, the Reptizoos, um, I know at least the, the two by three I have, change out two of the side panes for mesh. They come with like an extra mesh piece. Mm -hmm. So if you need more ventilation through the sides, you can, you can, cause those glass pieces just kind of snap in They're They're interchangeable. Yeah. So if you need more ventilation and you just want to, you know, you just need a little bit more and you want to just put one side of, of screen in, you can, mm -hmm. or if you want to do both and a top, you know, you can, it's, they're very customizable. Yeah. I have the screens so, in mind. Cause yeah. I've got snakes in mind, so I don't need to maintain any sort of humidity other than the ambient in the room. So, mm -hmm. um, I definitely use those and I think they're great because more airflow is definitely always better if you can do it, um, without sacrificing anything else for sure. That's yeah. the, the best thing about these reptiles is how customizable they are. And like, they're just great. We should have a whole episode on reptiles. Yeah. Reptiles didn't sponsor <laughs> us, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think something's interesting about this enclosure that we were talking about is, is the situation with your ceiling and where you're going to do the light. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I have 
my rooms are in my basement. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. So my ceilings were only like seven foot. After we drywalled the ceilings, it kind of dropped at another half inch. So they're like six and a half, seven foot. Um, the enclosure is four foot. It's on a like three and a half foot stand. So you do the math. It's almost touching the ceiling. Um, so like a normal heat lamp dome won't fit on the top of the screen. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I'm I'm gonna go with the the in cage heating the light I think with the the guard on it or whatever and I was I was thinking last so like when I go to bed dude all I do is think about like these cages and like what mm -hmm. I want to do and yeah I kept coming back to like zoo enclosures where they have like they'll have a heat lamp up top that's like mm -hmm. say 92 degrees just for an example and then they'll have like like a ledge that has the heat lamp built into the bottom side yep, of it. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. And say that one's 85 or 86 degrees, you know, yep. to where like the animal has, you know, if they want to get warm but not hot, they can go to the lower one. Or if they really want to get hot, they can go up, which is like towards yeah. the sun, quote unquote, and it's hotter. Yeah. So I was trying to think about how I can add like, two different basking zones in this enclosure and i haven't i haven't gotten there yet but hmm. i kind of want to mess around with that and see if i can if i can because there's two animals and they're gonna you know they cohab so yeah. i'd like to have especially when they get adult size i'd like to have two separate basking zones for them eventually yeah so i think that'd yeah. be kind of cool to mess around with and see if it's possible to do in this enclosure Yep. or not i don't know there's a there's a person on instagram i think you know passionate snakes you heard yeah. Of them? yeah mm -hmm. they did a enclosure recently where they had a basking pole built into the enclosure but behind the background yeah 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 so you could reference that um but i think that's interesting an interesting concept of of you know having areas for both animals to bask independently. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a concept that maybe we, we continue to touch back on, you know, each episode when we're talking about different animals and how we're doing it, but like the concept of significant behaviors and allowing the animals to express them. Yeah. And I think with co-having two animals, um, you got to have not just enough room for them to bask, but enough spaces for them to bask without stress. Um, because right. I think when it's a crowded basking spot, it can be stressful. Um, you know, I've got, I've experienced this with, with some of my turtles of not, not even, uh, you know, there's enough basking room, but if you have two turtles who want like the optimum basking spot mm -hmm. in that area, they're going to, you know, jaw at each other a little bit. And I've seen them, you know, open their mouths at each other, which is really kind of funny to, to see yeah. a turtle do that. But, um, yeah, having two, if you're going to co-have animals, I think having two basking areas is always a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, to allow them to to express that behavior mm. on their own. Um, yeah, and I've, I've noticed too that um, with these two in this in this two by three, there's just one basking spot. Mm -hmm. And I notice more often than not, the females on it and the males not. And every time I come in here, he's she's underneath the bowl, just getting all the heat, and he's like kind of close, but not really there, you know? Yeah. So I I would like to have multiple spots just to ensure that he's 
I mean, he's doing great. He's eating fantastic. He's growing like crazy, you know, so it's not detrimental at this point. Yeah. But I would, I would like to offer another separate spot that if he wanted to, he could use the main one. Yeah. You know? It's like, uh, it's women, man. It's like when you're, you're in bed and your girlfriend takes all the covers, man. That's yeah. That's what's happening. Oh yeah. And then they yeah. shove their cold feet on your leg. Yes. Yeah. Classic. Classic. <laughs> Um, no, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, what do you, when you feed them, how do you like, is there a zone that they eat in or is it, they just kind of eat wherever or how do you, you know, how do you do that? So with the male, I can, it doesn't matter wherever he's at. I just, cause they're, they're tongue feeding pretty great now. So gotcha. Um, if I'm in a rush or if I have like things I need to get done, I'll throw in some crickets. Just like to let them chase around, you know, for again, for like the enrichment factor. Um, but the male, it doesn't really matter uh, where he's at in the enclosure. He's he'll readily eat. The female, on the other hand, is still very skeptical of. She's gotten a lot better um, before when I went in the cage, she would run like she would just instantly be gone. Now she kind of stays still, but she's still very weary of me. Mm-hmm. So her, I got to like, it takes, I got to set aside 25, 30 minutes specifically just for her to, uh, to even start taking like roaches off tongs. Um, so I have, I have the chair that I'm in now for a few minutes and, uh, let them kind of get used to me being there with the doors open, you know? Yep. And then I'll start feeding the male and she'll see him eating. And then I'll, I'll slowly go to her and try to offer her one. And it's so crazy. Cause their, their eyes like do the, almost like the chameleon thing sometimes. Like they're mm-hmm. the, the way they move is just insane. And she'll look at the roach and then she'll look at me in the eyes and then she won't take anything. So I have to almost like hide my face behind, like yeah. put a leaf between me and her and just kind of fish my, my tongs up and just wiggle and she'll take. Um, but I've also noticed recently that if I have a roach on the tongs and I kind of put it on a stick to where they start kind of crawling, she hits it instantly. Hmm. So I've been doing that a lot more lately. So she's getting better, but she's still, she's still pretty, pretty weary of tong feeding, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. I think, um, going back to the the topic of significant behaviors i think you've got behaviors that should probably remain stagnant or or non-changing like uh mm-hmm. like a basking area if you think about it, in a wild like a lizard on a rock like they're gonna know that that rock you know at, at a certain time of day um is gonna be the best place for them to bask and so they'll keep going to the same rock to bask or the same stick or whatever um and so that's something you know not stagnant because in the wild the sun will change so maybe Mm -hmm. i mean that's a complex thing to change in in a fake setting but um that one to me is something that would remain more stagnant but i think feeding is something that would happen in the wild all over the place you know like it it would occur wherever they are wherever they can find food it's you know they're hunting so they're actually going out looking for it but um, something like basking or sleeping or something like that would be a, like a standard location versus like a variable one, which is mm-hmm. 
interesting to think about when you design an enclosure like okay where where will they bask where will they eat from where will they they sleep yeah um, things like that so i think um knowing that they're tongue fed in a similar manner to like locating the the enclosure in, a, in an area that you know they're comfortable because you've already sort of conditioned them to be comfortable with you you've already sort of conditioned them to feed you know wherever they are but off of tongs so um it's interesting th to think about like how you can train an animal to adapt to its enclosure as well not necessarily yeah. train but like condition an animal to adapt to its enclosure as well and balancing like what you want them to adjust to versus what you want to keep um more natural or not necessarily natural but like you know what how they want to do it versus like how you want them to do it right yeah exactly and i think that with this new enclosure i'm curious to see if the height plays uh, a factor in them feeding or especially the female feeding more readily if she's yeah. like because even standing this this enclosure is you know a foot taller than i am yeah so i'm curious to see if if she's up high if she'll take food more readily if I'm lower than she is, so I'm, I'm like less intimidating, you know. Mm -hmm. Are they? So you said they're called the bush, the bush and all. Yeah. Are they um, in the wild? Would they be, you know, like in the bushes, like lower, I guess, or mid or canopy level, or? From what I've read, I I I think they're they're higher up during the day, okay. um, and then they come down at night to sleep. Okay. So it makes me think that the reason she's not, because like I said before, like all these animals are individuals, you know? So I feel like if yeah. she's, if she feels intimidated, she's not going to take food off tongs, you know, I, I shouldn't expect her to, but I feel like if she's up high, comfortable and knows she can get away from me if she wants to, if that'll play a bigger role in, and like her readily tongue feeding without me having to sit here for a half hour and she takes three roaches, you know? Yeah. 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 That's interesting. It would make your life more or easier, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's part of it. Like, um, you know, for a while when bioactive, I guess first came on the scene, everyone was like, this is the easiest way to keep your reptiles. And, I there's you know a level of truth to that and then there's a level of like that's not true it's a lot more work you got to maintain plants and all that um oh, yeah but I think on on a whole it is easier because it allows the animal to do all its natural behaviors and um and, and express or or you know act the way it wants to mm -hmm. versus you having to manipulate it to do so um you know, like I, I think of like a, a carpet python that you've got in, in a rack, let's just say, in order for you to get like a natural behavior out of it, like climbing or doing anything, you got to take it out and like allow it to express that, yeah. um, which I think, you know, is a standard of care that needs to be there. If it's going to be in a rack, like it's got to come out and move. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're keeping, you know, naturalistically or, or in a you know, proper setup in that aspect, it is easier because it allows it to do all those things without you having to intervene and do it or help it do it. If that makes sense. I don't know. I'm just rambling. Yeah. And, and the but. key, the key word there is proper do it. Like if, if you set up a bioactive incorrectly, then it's going to be extremely difficult. Yeah. 
to to manage and take care of it. But if you take the time, um, spend the money where it needs to be spent on on things it needs to be spent on, mm-hmm. and 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 take pride in in building the enclosure and you know, then yeah, it's it's the easiest way to keep you know. Yeah. But you have yeah. to. There are certain things you have to do, and if you don't do those things, then it's going to be a nightmare for you, no matter what. Absolutely, absolutely. I, the first time I had a, the first bio, real bioactive cage I, I had was for my um, eastern king snake, and and if you've kept king snakes, you know that bioactive and king snakes don't necessarily go together that well all the time. They're they're terribly destructive snakes. Um, it's almost impossible to keep plants with them. So it, the plants obviously were uprooted and dead within a week. Um, but I had isopods in there and they boomed like crazy. So I was like, yes, we're good. This is bioactive. It's good to go. But without the plants in there, they weren't removing any of the nitrogen from the, mm-hmm. uh, the soil. And it, it became a hazard <laughs> a, a health hazard for the snake like the snake ended up getting an ri and i had to bring it to the vet it was a whole ordeal um the snake is absolutely perfect now i've got it uh still for sure and she's wonderful she's beautiful um but i really learned from that like it's got to be done right and right for the animal like i now i don't think i would necessarily keep the king snake in a bioactive setup because i would just have to be you know, constantly changing out soil and making sure that the nitrogen levels and the bacteria levels aren't too high um, for that snake. But, you know, something that's not going to bury, you know, I think carpet pythons as large as they are, are better suited to bioactive setups than something like a king snake that's going to burrow just because they're not going to be uprooting plants. They might crush the plants. Yeah, I guess the key is, is making sure that the plants are, you know, established ahead of time so that they can actually grow. But um, I think that's a whole talk for another, another episode about bioactivity and and how you can do it. Yeah, that's a big thing is, is allowing, allowing the enclosure to establish before you start adding anything into it. And that's the hardest part, you know, because as soon as you get a cage done, you want to throw the animal in and see what it does. But if you do that it's it could work but it it might not and you know all these plants that you bought and meticulously put in places are just going to get uprooted and just demolished so you definitely have to take that into account absolutely i yeah i think the thought process of of allowing an enclosure to mature is hard or it's easy to think about want to do but much harder to do Mm-hmm. especially when you're limited on space and you're like, okay, I got to move this animal out so I can do the next one or whatever. But I think the patience is really um, the hardest, but also the best part because then, you know, once you do add, add that animal in, all that hard work is is going to pay off versus adding that animal in and then it absolutely destroying the plants or yeah. the, you know, the microfauna not being, you know, established and ready to mm-hmm. um, actually support an animal like that so. yeah absolutely like this this new monkey lizard enclosure it's going to be just plants and and isopods and springtails for a while you know because they're still mm-hmm. the cage you're in now is still perfectly fine for the pair they're still small so yeah, i mean i may just let it go for the next three or four five months and just kind of let it grow in and and see how yeah. the plants grow where they grow to kind of deal and then and then put them in. So 
it's it's time consuming you know it's it's a long process but it's worth it yeah it's absolutely worth it so speaking of of plants we talked about background mm-hmm. i think we should talk about plants that you plan to put in there and maybe also soil that you're going to use uh, so i'm torn on mm-hmm. the plant subject because i uh i talked to roy pretty pretty regularly now um which is still i'll fangirl out every time but it's just <laughs> that that we're you know on on some sort of a friendship level now you know um he has a legit biotope for mm-hmm. his you know with like plants from where they're from it's legit set up um yeah and he had mentioned just sending me some cuttings of, of his enclosure to kind of propagate into mine, but mm-hmm. we're midwinter right now. Yeah. So there's no shipping of anything going on for at least the next two or three months, probably. Yeah. So I plan on, and this may change. I may just uproot everything whenever I can get those clippings in. I don't know yet, but mm-hmm. I want to pull the, the big monster out of their enclosure now. Cause it's just, it needs like the leaves are getting so close to the light that they're starting to burn, you know? Yeah. And I don't want that to become a, a, a hazard in its own, you know? Um, so I'm going to pull that. That's going to go in there for sure. I have a big hanging basket of pothos I bought at, I didn't know Ikea sold live plants, but they do. And they're insane. They're fantastic. So I, I bought a big like vining pothos that mm-hmm. I'm going to try to hang from the top to kind of vine down. And then other than that, I don't, I don't really know what all I'm going to put in there yet. I'd like to get some more like mid ground plants. Yeah. Cause in their enclosure now, it's just the pothos has taken over the ground and then they have the big monstera up top, but there's really nothing in between those two. Yep. So I want to find, um, I need to find some plants that grow, like one to two foot tall that are kind of bushy. Um, I did get a peace lily I'm thinking about putting in there to kind of cover that, but I don't know. I may, I don't know. I'm torn. I want to wait for the yeah. clippings. I think a biotope would be super cool, but yeah, I may just add it, them in later and, and it'll be like a biotope plus ish. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting though, because, um, I think one thing we should also highlight is you and I both are very into to fish keeping as well. Yeah. And I think biotope is, you know, a huge um, trend or like, um, I don't know if it's a trend. It's like a, it's just a thing that people like to do in the fish keeping world a lot. Um, yeah. A lot of times it's easier in the fish keeping world just because they mm-hmm. have, you know, you're not using common house plants. So you can order actual aquarium plants and from the area and, you know, the specific fish and stuff like that. So I think it a little bit easier on the fish keeping side, but I think it's, you can also do it in much smaller box, whatever. I think the concept of, of a biotope is really interesting, but I also think it's something that sometimes you think about, cause I've thought about this too, with like my carpet pythons, like, Oh, I, I want exclusively plants from Australia and not even just Australia, but like Queensland. Right. And it becomes like almost stressful. Because mm-hmm. then you're like, I want to do this and I want to do it right, but I've I've got to wait and I don't really want to do it that like that. I just I feel like I should. 
and there's this pressure on me because I said I wanted to do it that I, yeah. you know, I want to do it. Um, and it's almost like, like in the same way as carpet Python people are like, or at least initially, like when you get a carpet, you're like, okay, I want, I want to get the jungles and I want to get the, the Darwins. And I want to get all the subspecies. You want to like complete the set. It's like part of our collector gene that we have where we were, we're like, we want to, want to do it and we want to collect it and we want it to be, um, exactly how it's supposed to be um and i think if you can it's amazing but i also think sometimes it's a box that you put yourself in and um it creates stress you know absolutely Um, but no that's interesting yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at too is like because i mean i stress myself out so easily on everything yeah i'm an overthinker so it just it's part of my natural cycle i guess but me too. It's like, it's, and he could send the clippings in and I put them in there and they do great with the plants I already have, or I wait. And this is my, this, this is my mind, but yeah. I wait, I put all the clippings in there and then somehow they all die. And then I'm back yeah. to square one anyway. Yeah. And I don't really, I'm not concerned on, on building a, a, a biotope really. I just want it to be functional and look good. Mm-hmm. You know? So I may just go ahead and build it out because I have the motivation and the, and the want to do that now. Yeah. So, and then if he sends me the clippings, fantastic. I'll put them in there and see what they do, you know, and then kind of revamp from there. But I just, I think I'm just going to go for it because if I don't and I wait, it's just, it's not going to be good. I can already feel it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Something you, interesting you just said, though, is is I have the motivation to do it right now. Yeah. And I I feel like this all the time, but, like, it building enclosures and, like, setting up enclosures the way we're talking about and the way we, like, want to do it going forward is, like, very hard work. Like, painting backgrounds, especially if you're doing it on a large scale, is, is – um, not easy cutting foam is not easy it's it's exhausting and when you work a full-time job sometimes you're like i don't want to do this this afternoon you know i've got a project downstairs that's like 75 maybe 80 percent done and i just haven't touched it in a minute um and i think artists get like that all the time you know they start Mm -hmm. painting and they walk away um because they just get burnt out thinking about it and i think um what's important if you want to do it and and do it on a large scale for you know a significant number of enclosures is like whenever you have the motivation to do it just do it like yeah you can do it at that moment and and just work on it like it doesn't even i feel like a lot of times i get so like caught up in my head thinking about how i want this to look and then i get part of the way through and i'm like i hate it i hate it i hate it and (laughs) i lose all my motivation and it's like, you just got to keep going, man. You just got to keep going and um, don't even look at it, really. Just, yeah, just exactly. Keep, just keep it working. Yeah. And like you yeah. said, we both, you know, we both have a full-time job. I have a baby yeah. on the way. Yeah. Congratulations. So I got to really think about, like, what I want to do before that happens. Because once the baby's here, like, I'm not going to have all this free time that I have. Yeah. I'm obviously going to still take care of the animals the best of my ability, and that's not going to change. But there's like extra stuff of building backgrounds just willy-nilly at midnight on a Tuesday just is not going to happen anymore, you know? Yeah. So 
I'm I'm very much the type of person to like once I know what I'm gonna do with with an enclosure, I buy everything at once. Just mm-hmm. I I spend the money, I buy everything at once, so everything is here. Yep. And you're not you're not building the background and oh I forgot to get the tent oh. for the dry lock and you're already oh, yeah. ready to paint and then you have to go back to Home Depot and it just ruins the whole the whole yeah. flow of everything. So. Which I'm is going to happen the first time you build an enclosure. Like you can't plan for everything because you don't know what you need. But. Dude, I went back to Home Depot like four times and I'm yeah. on a Saturday. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. That's the worst killer. Yeah. You want to make sure you have first and foremost an idea of what you want to do mm-hmm. and then get all of your supplies first. Don't start building anything until you have everything at your house. Yeah. And then that's when you start you know, putting things together. Cause then you might, you know, you might have another idea midway through. And if you don't have the supplies for that, you may just not go through with it. And it, it could have been better if that, yeah. makes, you know, absolutely. I think that's something too, we should talk about it eventually or, or have an episode on is uh, your, your DIY toolbox of, yeah. of things that you should just have on hand um, mm-hmm. in the case that you want to, you know, do an enclosure or change up an enclosure or whatever. Um, yeah, and it, it helps too because like I'm a diesel mechanic by trade, so I have a lot of diesel. A lot of to- diesel. I have a lot diesel. of tools and stuff at the house. You know, I have a lot of acquired over the past ten years of, of being a mechanic. So and those have they have come into play many yeah. times building things. Mm-hmm. You know, they're good to have. Yeah. Buying buying a I, I, sometimes I like avoid a project because like, oh, I'm going to need this certain tool. But sometimes it's like you should do that project so you have that tool. Yeah. And then you'll just have it, you know, for anything else. And then you've like opened up your horizon of things you can do. Absolutely. Um, love tools, man. That's man shit right there. Yeah, I'm just not like I'm starting to get into woodworking a little bit. And nice. like, I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm ready to start buying tools. and I'm so excited yeah. for it, man. <laughs> Because yeah. I want to build like you know I want nice stands for all the cages. Yeah, I want to buy them. I want to make them all myself. Like Absolutely. this whole basement, like me and my grandpa did all of this ourselves. You know. Yep. So it's it's cool to be able to like a, like whenever you and like the group comes down eventually to see the rooms and stuff, it, it'll be cool to be like, yeah, like I built all of this. You know. Yeah, did it with my own two hands. Yeah. Yeah, like it took us a year to get it done, but it's done. Yeah. And it's exactly what you wanted. Like everything is used exactly the way you wanted and you can like alter your plans. Like as you go through, Uh, like even just the stands that you're talking about building, like building something custom to be exactly what you want could Mm -hmm. not be more valuable. Like there's once you get outside of like ball pythons, leopard geckos, um, you know, uh, radiated slider, like even a radiated slider, honestly, but like, like the, the typical pet reptiles, like mm-hmm. there's not products that you need for the most part. Like you got lighting and heat and all that. We've got that, but like cages for the most part, like half the time you got to build like what you need for it to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, the backgrounds, the, the stands, like everything we're talking about, like it just doesn't exist, especially when you're keeping something, you know, a little bit obscure, like a, you know, a large turtle. Like that's why I said a radiator slider. Like they don't sell a product that's suitable for a radiator slider, like commercially 
right for for a red eared slider like you could get a stock tank and that would be good but like even an aquarium for an adult red eared slider is not great for it you know and mm-hmm. so you can't just go and buy a commercially available pet product for for these animals and so i think having the skill set to be able to build and do what you need to do for these animals is um invaluable like you're, you're like i'm just thinking about your polychris enclosure like if you weren't able to build the background and set up the enclosure the way you're going to do it and you mm-hmm. were just like trying to find everything at PetSmart like you, it would be impossible. I mean you could probably keep them. Yeah. Like would it be the same level as would it be optimum care? Probably not, you know. And it would be outrageously expensive too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. That's the other yeah. thing. You'll save yourself so much money. You won't save yourself any time. It'll be much more time consuming. Yeah. But, but it's worth uh, it. Yeah. It's yeah. worth it to to say when it's done and the animals are in there, be like, I did that. You know, mm-hmm. that was my idea that I put effort towards, made it what it should be, and now this is a result. Yeah. It's just, and if you don't you don't feel like that immediately after you make the enclosure, wait six months and then you'll feel like that. Yeah, yeah. Give it time. <laughs> give it time. All my backgrounds sure. I've built so far, but now I can look at it and be like, okay, they're they're pretty cool. They're good. You know? Yeah. 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 I think we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, like no one, neither of us are wealthy people. <laughs> you know, we want to, we, we keep probably too many reptiles for the, <laughs> you know, our, 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 uh, wealth level. Um, and so to do that, you gotta, you gotta get creative and, um, do the things we're going to talk about doing um, in order to do it on the scale you want to do it. Like I I want my enclosures to look like a zoo enclosure. Like you're going into a zoo reptile house and you're looking at these enclosures in a zoo and zoos spend millions of dollars on reptile houses. Yeah. Obviously they've got a whole back area and a food prep and all that. um, But it's expensive for them to do that because they're paying people to do all the things that you can do yourself. Maybe not all the things, unless you're like Brendan, you can mold. But <laughs> um, for the most part, like it's, you can do all the things. You just got to learn how to do it. Yeah. And it's definitely, a, it's like, I don't know about you, but I'm not a very patient person. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely practice in that, in that area too, because like you said, I don't have the money to go out and, and, and spend all this money on, to get all the cages done at once, you know, it's kind of a, a slow process. Like I'd like to eventually do all the exoterras, the the cat geckos are in. I want to do the, all those backgrounds, but mm-hmm. a dozen cages, you know, that's a lot of work and a lot of yes. time. And and when you start doing it on scale like that, it's a lot. And if they're smaller enclosures, you know, but yeah, I want to get to the point where, and I was talking to, to Christy about this the other night I'm trying to like get her to like really get into the background thing. Cause mm-hmm. then I think it'd be cool to offer, offer like pre-cut pre-made exoterra backgrounds that you can just slide into your cage at home. Yeah. If you don't want to go through the whole process of building it or you can't for whatever reason, I think it'd be cool to, to kind of offer, you know, a, a certain number of exoterra backgrounds pre-made that's mm-hmm. someone- just kind of slide in and, and go about their day, you know, I think that'd be pretty yeah. cool. No, I think that would be cool. And and I don't think that there's enough people doing it. Like as no. far as like a, like a standardized, like 
exotericize, you know, yeah. like you can't just go to a reptile show or most reptile shows, I'm sure, you know, Tinley and stuff, you probably could, but like you can't normally, if you're going to go there, they'll have like the exoterra for sale, but they won't have like the background. They'll have it pre-made in the exoterra, but you got to buy the whole thing. So if you've yeah. got the exoterra at home and you can go and buy this, I, th I think that's, um, oh, uh, you know, invaluable. I also think it's funny because I used to look at, you know, like universal rocks or like, you know, any of the people who do that. Cause like I said, there are people who, who do that. It's just not common. Um, I'd be like astounded at the prices. I'm like, you $124 or whatever it is for that. Are you kidding me? But then you go and do it yourself and you're like, okay, hold on. I think I just spent like 80 bucks and probably yeah. 20 hours of my own time, you know? And yeah. so what kind of value can you add to your own time? But, exactly. you know, for me, and I think also for you, um, we enjoy doing it and it's, it's relaxing and therapeutic for us and frustrating all at the same time. But I think yeah, it, yeah. it's something that gives me purpose and, and excitement and, you know, something that I think about that's not work when I go to bed at night. And I think, mm -hmm. um, not everyone's as fortunate to, to have that. And so I, I feel very grateful that I can get out of bed every morning and be excited and think about something that I'm going to do in the reptile room. Um, yeah, exactly. And you, and you can, you can cater to the animal you're building it for, which I, I mean, we touched on already a little bit, but like, if you have an animal that, that enjoys hiding more than another, you can literally foam in a cork tube into the background that they can crawl into that you can't physically get them out of, you know, or there's just so, there's so much you can do with a custom yeah. background that you build yourself that it's, it's worth the headache and the time and the money that it costs to do it and do it right. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a no brainer, obviously, but I think, um, we definitely should do some episodes on like the proper ways to go about, cause a lot of people just don't know how to do it. You know, it's intimidating for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think if we kind of, kind of go through like a, not really a step by step, but like a, you know, give out like a like a checklist of things that you should probably have if you want to do a, like a dry lock foam background. You know, yeah, just something for people to to reference and and get, kind of give people the confidence to go out and, and at least try. You know, yeah, I I want to revise something I said because I think I said earlier that it's hard to do a background. Mm -hmm. It's not actually hard to do a background. They're actually I think pretty simple and straightforward. It's just the work part of it that that's yeah. hard. Um, yeah. But we want to encourage you guys to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's or, worth or it, buy one from Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> um, not yet, but one day. Um, one day. Yeah, but it, it's it's not hard, like difficult wise. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, actually once you do it, it's like one of the most straightforward things you could do. And I yeah, we'll definitely have an episode on that. But I would love to encourage everybody to go and try, um, you know, a, a painter never learns how to paint unless they paint. Exactly. Um, and I think that's exactly what you got to do. I, I, I honestly think it's, it's like, I think keeping reptiles is something that I do because I love the reptiles and I love to watch the reptiles, but I think building enclosures is its own other hobby for me. That's equally as, as, um, value add for me. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, 
makes me just as happy, sometimes probably even more happy than keeping the reptiles themselves, um, which is, I don't know if that's controversial to say, but I just love getting creative like that, man. Like it, it fires me up, man. Like I, like, like you were saying, dude, it like, unlocks, it. it like unlocks a separate part of your brain. It's, yeah. it's so strange, man. It's, it's flow state, man. It's yeah. like being a singer on a stage. It's like, you are locked into what you're doing. You know, sometimes I'll play a podcast or listen to music, but I, I feel like when I'm doing it, I'm not really even listening. I'm just like zoned out, but in mm -hmm. at the same time. And I'm just doing, I'm just creating. And I love that. I think it's, I think it's the best thing you could do. Absolutely. Yeah. And the first one's not going to be great. You know, they never are. It's, uh, it's like, you know, the first time you rode a bike, you probably fell a couple times, you know? So it's, it's, it's worth the effort. The first one's not going to be great. So you may as well just put that in your brain now that you're probably going to mess some things up, but you just, as you go on the next one, you've revised that first one and then you move on to the next one and you go back and you revise and you just keep going and going. And eventually you're making insane things, you know? Yeah. And, and you're, you're definitely going to think that the first one is worse than it actually is. Like yeah. it's going to be bad to you. But it's 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 in the grand scheme of things, it's not bad at all, um, and it's probably pretty good. You're just um, super critical of yourself, which I, you and I both are when we do yeah. it. I can't even look at an enclosure for for a couple of weeks after I build it because I'm like, ah, I hate it. I, there's this thing that I wanted to do differently, but I think that's also how you get better. Yeah, um, being critical about it, and then you know after you've already made mental notes of like what you need to do differently, then you can kind of take a step back and look at it and appreciate it and accept it um, for what it is. And even if it is bad, which is, you know, it's a possibility that it yeah. just doesn't go well, then you, you learn something at least. And you can rip it out and start again. And you can rip it out and act like it never happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the great thing too about foam is like, if you're going to use foam, like it, it, I mean, it's, it's probably not going to be the cleanest pull away. You're going to have to do some scraping, but if you're using foam on glass or PVC, you can get that out. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Don't use concrete for your first one, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, have a, I have a carpet python enclosure uh, downstairs that's got probably 300 pounds of concrete in it. And that was uh, – it wasn't my first, but I think it was my third or fourth enclosure that I did, enclosure background. And all the ones before that were, you know, the standard – spray foam silicone cocoa fiber and so i was like yeah. i'm gonna do rock structures with concrete and i laid chicken water <laughs> down and i put the concrete on and then i after it dried i lifted it up and i was like oh my god <laughs> how will i ever move this thing ever again and it's got chicken wire in there so you can't break it up like mm -hmm. oh man that thing can su survive a nuclear bomb that's for sure but yeah i'm definitely team team dry lock for sure yeah yeah Awesome. Well, I think um, I think we covered you know, a lot of stuff on this first episode without you know giving too much away going forward. Um, we're gonna have to figure out kind of our schedule on how we're gonna do this. I think preliminarily we're gonna do twice a month and see how mm -hmm. it goes. Yep. Um, we're gonna be back, I guess, in two weeks mm -hmm. uh, when this comes out with uh, with an episode about Kevin, my um, smooth fronted caiman, Paleosuchus trigonatus. His uh, enclosure downstairs in my basement and kind of you know how i built that and what the plan was and everything like that 
and Brendan is now completely <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> Nighttime. So that's the sign that we. Uh, My lights went out. <laughs> that's the sign. Bye. So, Brendan, any any last words from you? Um. Yeah. So you kind of already said it, but we're thinking every like twice a month. It's not kind of overbearing. I think every week for now, at least with both of our schedules would be kind of a lot because we want to put, we want to put thought into these episodes. You know, we don't just want to kind of come on and just randomly talk about things. Like we want them fairly structured. And, and so I feel like every two weeks would be the perfect, the perfect amount of time to kind of get a game plan together and, and actually put out a good episode that we're proud of. So, and then eventually um, we want to get guests and stuff on to talk about their experiences, you know, what they're doing with, in terms of uh, the naturalistic keeping side of things and, and the biotopes and the backgrounds and the, you know, the cage builds and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Lighting, cohabbing. I mean, we kind of want to do a little bit of, of everything. So yeah, yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be a good show. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. I think like we said at the beginning, we're going to, focus you know on naturalistic keeping and care and um see where that kind of that topic takes us each episode and, and go from there um we appreciate y'all if uh you continued listening through this entire thing uh, <laughs> our first episode um i think it was actually relatively good so i'm happy with it and yeah uh, i want to say thank you brennan for for doing this with me and oh absolutely and so man I think it, I think it 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 uh it goes without saying, but it's funny. Like I I was like a huge fan of your of your Instagram before we even met, and then like you got added to the group chat, and then we've become like really good friends since then. It's just so cool, man. It's like the whole thing has come full circle. It's awesome. That's that's so funny, man. I didn't. I don't <laughs> think I knew that actually. That's yeah, enough. man. It's insane. Like I was I was following you way before like we even had a conversation. That's wild. So. It's yeah. so funny how this works out, all because of social media, man. Yeah, man. It's going to be a good show. It's going to yeah. be so much fun. And just like a learning experience for hopefully not just us, but everybody that tunes in and listens, you know? Yeah. And in a, a place for community as well, so we can make more of these connections where we're, you know, like-minded individuals just trying to get more out of our hobby and, and yeah. really enjoy it to the, the level that we want to, so... Yeah, and then we're gonna we're gonna have an Instagram page for the podcast at some point. Um, we have it already. By the time this podcast is up, yeah, it, us, it should it should already be a thing by now. Yes, but follow us at at uh, Beyond the Terrarium on Instagram. Yeah, and then uh, BM Exotics is my Instagram. If you want to get a hold of me and talk about what I'm, I'm open to to anything. I'll talk to anybody about anything reptile. So um, I don't really do like. Like I don't really add random people on Facebook, so Instagram is definitely the the spot if you wanna if you wanna talk reptiles. So, yeah, and then same for me. Instagram is my only only spot unless I'm in a group in Facebook. So, uh, Jack Oliver Reptiles on Instagram if you wanna follow me or, or talk to me about anything. So, with that, I think we wanna say thank you guys for listening and and tune in in two weeks. Yes, sir. Thank you.